We live in this country together and we have to get along. It's scary how much misinformation is out there that is convincing people how evil the other side is. The misinformation is the problem. I hope that understanding how look up and look down brains work and how they're different might be a way to start building just a little bridge. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 185 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyotsuka.com. My purpose is always to show you that your best life is here to greet you when you become more of who you are more of you. And in the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something. And that's, that includes you because literally not one. So before we start today's podcast, I would love to be able to share a few podcast reviews with you. I really want to acknowledge those who have taken the time to write these reviews, I know that none of us ever have enough time, so I cannot even begin to tell you how much I appreciate you. Because, you know, these reviews, they really do help to spread the word so that we can reach even more women with ADHD and change their lives too, right? And if you don't know how to post a review to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we've made a very simple cheat sheet, which you can find at spyhappy.me forward slash review. So our first review does not have a name attached to us. Instead, there is an image of a tulip, a rose, a sun, and another tulip and another rose. And the title of it is, I hadn't felt peace until this podcast. Tracy, your show is stellar. I found it recently after being diagnosed with ADHD, very new into physician assistant school. Truly, if I didn't have this podcast to understand myself and have everything that I'd always felt finally make sense, I definitely wouldn't have had the strength to continue my program. I'm always checking for new episodes because they truly make me feel I have such unique things to contribute to this world. We all do. I was very confused after being diagnosed until relating to so many women and you on your show. Also, I've definitely always struggled with making friends because apparently I'm frank and I can't stop talking, but go figure. I never noticed it until I was diagnosed. Initially, I felt a lot of hatred for myself, but literally after listening to a few of your episodes, my entire thought process was turned around and I had such a deeper understanding of myself. A self your show helps me love more than I've ever loved myself before. I consider this show self-care and also very educational. Thank you for all the hard work you do. Well, 
Flowers and Sun, because that's what I'm going to call you since I don't have a name, you do have so much to contribute to this world. And I, for one, I am delighted that you now understand yourself and look at the ripple effect this will have as a physician's assistant. Thank God you kept going, right? We need you not only to educate patients, but also other medical professionals as well. And it just makes me so happy. So thank you so much for sharing it and the best of luck to you. But you know what? You don't need luck. You have a high-powered ADHD brain and interest. You will do this. I'm certain of it. And we're just all going to applaud you along the way. Okay, what was the next one? The next one is from Honey Hive Studios, and it's titled or captioned ADHD Journey. As I go through this journey of understanding what it's like to be an adult diagnosed with ADHD, I'm learning to love who I am. And what I love most about this podcast is it lets me know there is happiness in the horizon and that I'm not alone. Thank you. Nope, you are not alone, Honey Hive Studios. And this is the thing. Once you're in a community of other ADHD women and you realize how brilliant they are, every single one of them, right? You start to think, well, wait a minute. If this one is brilliant and that one's brilliant and over there, that one's brilliant too, then what the hell? I must be brilliant too. So I love that you are discovering that. And I guess our final review is from Diva Drive and it's captioned, Tracy did the homework. I'm so impressed with the work she has done gathering and making so much documented information available in such a digestible series. I'm very much reminded of the manner. There's no politics on this podcast. She has that in parentheses, similar to when Rachel Maddow goes to the background of a subject. So when you learn the something, you can actually understand the why of the ADHD information. Maybe it's because I could personally relate to the episodes, but they've given me the motivation to try again to reach for the best qualities that my ADHD gives me. So Diva Drive, what you don't know is that this is the biggest compliment that you could ever give me. I consider Rachel to be one of the finest brains out there and just an all-around great human being. I love how she does things her way. I mean, who has a show that's on once a week and then when she feels like it, right? Rachel does. And they make all these concessions to her because she's that good. Just so you know, I ran to show my husband your review because he loves Rachel too, and he laughed. (laughs) So just when Diva Drive states that there's no politics on this podcast, guess where we're going? Yeah, I'm a little scared, but I've wanted to talk about ADHD and politics for a while. But given the state our world is in, I didn't want to add to the negativity, the polarization, and the hatred. Look, I'm sure, like me, you have friends and family who are not on your side, whether we're talking about Republicans, Democrats, or independents here in the United States, or liberals versus conservatives, if you're not. Bottom line, what I was waiting for is I was waiting until I could share some information that could possibly make things better, not worse. Could we, for example, blame the differences in the way we see the world on our brains, rather than a character flaw or a moral failing, because I don't believe that people are evil. Okay, maybe a very, very, very small percentage who are completely lacking in empathy, but generally, no. I mean, call me a Pollyanna, but I can't live in this world believing that. You know, I don't believe that most people are evil. So if you've been following this podcast for a bit, it's probably not hard to figure out where I come down in this equation. So you probably know I was raised Catholic. My kids were raised Catholic, but I'm always asking, hashtag, what would Jesus do? And lately, I'm responding, hashtag, not this. I am always about widening the tent. I'm inclusionary, not exclusionary. I believe the pie is big enough for all of us. I come from a there's plenty for everyone mindset rather than a lack mindset, meaning if you get something, that means that I'm not going to get it, right? I think that the kinder, more inclusive we make society, the better for everyone. And I believe that women are capable of making decisions for themselves. And when we struggle most as ADHD women, it's when we're required to take on all these additional responsibilities for no other reason than that society dictates that this is our role as women. Do you know homicide is the leading cause of maternal death in the United States? 
We also have the highest maternal death rate among developed countries, which that's just insane to me. I mean, we are the wealthiest country in the world, but we just don't care about women or their health. It's not just appropriately diagnosing women with ADHD, knowing what it looks like in women, studies that involve women and hormones. No, it's everything. Women are second-class citizens who are not listened to and not believed. When we're unhappy, we're put on anxiety and depression medication. We're told we're hysterical or borderline or bipolar. We're told it's in our mind. We don't know what we're talking about. We're not trusted. And sadly, that includes our reproductive health as well. Sorry, I couldn't help with that part. And I know I digressed a little bit, but hey, you know, it's my podcast. And uh, now you're very clear where I stand. That said, all that said, I have wonderful friends who agree with me on many of these things, but they still vote differently than I vote. And so I have been on this quest to figure out why, because I've got to tell you, they are among the most generous, funny, and kind people that I know personally. It just doesn't make sense to me. So the goal of this podcast is to help you understand your brain a bit better and the person who you don't agree with's brain better as well. And I think when we can understand others more, that this is always a good thing. And when we can reach for an understanding in biology rather than, oh, he or she is just a jerk, that's an even better thing, right? It's kind of like ADHD. No one feels good when someone thinks that, oh, they're late on purpose or they interrupt because they're selfish or they're disorganized because they have a character flaw, right? It's much better when we understand that it's not on purpose. Rather, it's just a different brain that has a different set of rules. And we're pretty much born like that, right? And you know what? Politics is not much different. So what prompted this episode is I have been reading the book, The Molecule of More how a single chemical in your brain drives love, sex, and creativity, and will determine the fate of the human race. And it's by Dr. Daniel Lieberman and Michael Long. And I'll put it in the show notes. I found this book pretty darn interesting. You know, Lieberman starts out by using the analogy of looking up or looking down to explain how different brains work. When you look down and you look around you, right, you notice your comfortable couch. You may have a warm cup of coffee on the coffee table. You might see a wedding ring on your hand. You can control all those things right now. They don't require any planning, any effort, any thought. They just are, right? They're things in your possession. It's what you already have. Now, when you look up, you see the sky, you see other houses, you see big trees, a plane may come across the horizon. You see everything in the distance, right? What does all this have in common? Well, to reach them, you have to plan, you have to think, you have to calculate, right? It's your prefrontal cortex. You have to work in order to get them. So these are the two ways of thinking, the two ways of dealing with the world, of being in the world. And they're all managed by chemicals in your brain, neurotransmitters, if you will. When you look down, those chemicals, we're going to call the here and now chemicals. Dr. Lieberman calls them HNN, okay, here and now. They allow you to experience and enjoy right now what's in front of you. The look-up chemicals make you desire what you don't yet have. They drive you to seek new things. This is where creativity comes from, right? All of the ideas. It allows entrepreneurs to risk everything and work for years at a time and keep working even when they have so much money that they don't even know what to do with it. It's also why a person will risk a great relationship for the thrill of a new relationship. It pushes scientists, artists, athletes. It's also why those with look-up focused brains, well... We're never happy for too long, right? Our imaginations are constantly coming up with new ideas, new possibilities. We have everything we could possibly want, and yet we still want more. We want something different. And for us, different is almost always better. People with what Dr. Lieberman and others call dopaminergic personalities, these are the look up people, have more dopamine. And because of it, are obsessed with making the future better. And because they're all in the future, guess what suffers? Yup, you got it, 
the present. They struggle to enjoy the present. Hmm. Are you relating to any of this? So you probably heard me talk of this dif- about this difficulty that I have, that many people with ADHD have, in celebrating our successes. You know, I talk about what I used to call post-final depression. I'd plan all these things that I was going to do with friends um, after our college finals were over. My friends would be all excited and celebrating once the exams were done. And I'd be like, next, on to the next thing. What am I going to do next? More dopamine, please. It's always so hard for me to celebrate, but I now make a point of doing it because not celebrating, not taking the time to feel the pride in your accomplishment is also what makes us feel less successful. So let's back up a little. Whose brain sounds more like the up chemical brain? Yeah, ours, right? Those of us with ADHD. Now, we don't really know for sure what causes ADHD. But research indicates that it has something to do with our dopamine levels. We often hear that our brains don't make enough dopamine. And Lieberman and Long are arguing that the dopaminergic brain has too much dopamine. And we always hear that ADHD means you don't have enough dopamine, right? But it could also be that people with ADHD may have a higher concentration of dopamine transporters in the brain. These transporters remove dopamine from brain cells. So when there are more transporters in one area of the brain, we have lots of dopamine. But it could be that the transporters are actually removing dopamine too quickly so that dopamine has less time to exert its influence. We still don't know. We're not sure. Keep all of this in mind as we start talking about politics. Okay. So in this book, The Molecule of More, Lieberman mentions a research report titled Correlation not causation, the relationship between personality traits and political ideologies. It was published in 2002 by the American Journal of Political Science. This report found that certain personality traits were associated with liberals and other personality traits were associated with conservatives. And all of this was because of genes, right? There were certain personality constellations called P. The authors of the study found that people with low P scores were more likely to be altruistic, well-socialized, empathetic, and conventional. On the other side, they found that people who had high P scores were manipulative, tough-minded, and practical, and also had characteristics like risk-taking, impulsivity, and authoritarianism. From this, they ended up concluding that those with high P scores were more likely to be more conservative politically. And when they looked at their study, lo and behold, it showed that this was in fact true. Conservatives fit the stereotype. They were more impulsive and authoritarian, while liberals appeared to be more well-socialized and generous. Now, remember, that was back in 2002. Fast forward. 14 years later, when the American Journal of Political Science published a retraction, yeah, someone got the labels all mixed up. It was actually the liberals in the study, not the conservatives, who tended to be manipulative, tough-minded, and practical. And it was the conservatives in that same study, not the liberals, who tended to be altruistic, well-socialized, empathic, and conventional. Oops, guess what else? A high P-score means a tendency towards psychoticism. This means a higher risk for developing schizophrenia, which makes sense because the liberals with their tendencies towards risk-taking, sensation-seeking, and impulsivity were also more likely to be highly creative. The Institute of Psychiatry in London found that dopamine receptors were crowded together more tightly in the brains of people with high P scores compared to those with lower scores. Remember how we were just talking about how we don't know exactly what causes ADHD, but it has something to do with our dopamine levels? We think. The liberals had elevated dopamine. Remember, dopaminergic people tend to be creative and they're obsessed with making the future more rewarding. 
at the expense of being able to experience the joys of the present. Liberals tend to support liberal policies. Now, if you have a tendency towards risk-taking, sensation-seeking, impulsivity, what does that sound like? Yeah, it sounds like ADHD, right? Again. So the big question is, do dopaminergic people really support liberal policies? Liberals are called progressives, right? Merriam-Webster defines progressive as making use of or interested in new ideas, findings, or opportunities. The Cambridge Dictionary states that the progressive form of a verb is used to show that the action is continuing. The Oxford Dictionary defines progressive as in favor of new ideas, modern methods, and change. Progressives embrace change. We, with our ADHD brains, right, we get bored or we love change. Remember what we talked about earlier? People with dopaminergic personalities are obsessed with making the future better. As Lieberman states, progressives are idealists who use dopamine to imagine a world far better than the one we live in today. Progressivism is an arrow pointing forward. So what does conservatism mean? Merriam-Webster says a political philosophy based on tradition and social stability, stressing established institutions and preferring gradual development to abrupt change. Cambridge Dictionary says it's the quality of not usually liking or trusting change, especially sudden change. Oxford Dictionary defines it as a commitment to traditional values and ideas with opposition to change or innovation. Conservatives generally, they don't trust change, and they don't want people telling them what to do, even when it's in their best interest. For example, wearing seatbelts or motorcycle helmets or promoting healthy eating. Sounds kind of ADHD too, though, doesn't it? They don't believe it's possible to create a perfect society, conservatives, whereas liberals are looking up, they're moving forward, and they're wanting change so that things are better conservatives are more likely to want to keep things the way they are. And doesn't this make perfect sense? Since dopaminergic people tend to be more creative, they have more ideas, they feel comfortable pursuing that which is new and novel, and they're always trying to shake up the status quo. We see this dopaminergic personality exhibited in entrepreneurs generally, but especially Silicon Valley entrepreneurs, who are often willing to risk everything they have for something even better. In academics, we see it. Academics devote their lives to new ideas. And actors and artists also, we, we see it there. They live in a world built from their creativity. Artists and actors also struggle the most with mental illness. All of these people tend to be rebels who are easily bored and are always looking for something better. This is interesting. It might not be surprising to you at all, but most political donations from the tech industry in the 2020 election went to Democrats. Only 7% went to Republicans. 95% of contributions by employees of the six biggest tech firms also went to Democratic candidates. It's no wonder the Republicans seem to have really embraced Elon Musk lately, right? The numbers look similar for donations coming from Hollywood. So what about academia? According to the Washington Examiner, a leaning right publication, Democratic professors outnumber Republican professors by a ratio of 8.5 to 1 on our top college campuses. Women professors were significantly more likely to identify as Democrats. Makes sense, doesn't it? With female Democratic-leaning professors outnumbering Republicans by a ratio of 16.4 to 1, and male Democratic-leaning professors outnumbered male Republican-leaning professors by a ratio of 6.4 to 1. Also, according to the examiner, the most drastic differences in the ratio were reported among professors of English at 26.8 to 1, sociology at 27 to 1, and anthropology at 42.2 to 1. The examiner went on to state that when it comes to the more academically rigorous and well-respected disciplines of mathematics, we have ratios of 5.5 to 1, for chemistry, 4.6 to 1, and economics at 3 to 1. A much smaller ratio was observed, of course, in those instances, between Democratic versus Republican-leaning professors. Of course, we also know 
that several studies have found that the more a field is culturally understood to require brilliance or raw talent, and I'm using air quotes while I'm saying these things, to succeed, so think philosophy, maths, physics, music composition, computer science, the fewer women there will be studying and working in it. Yeah. One of the best books that I've read all year, maybe I read it last year, it's called Invisible Women. It is fantastic, and it's all about the gender data gap. So women make up only a quarter of the tech industry's employees and 11% of its executives. This is despite women earning more than half of all undergraduate degrees in the United States, half of all undergraduate degrees in chemistry, and almost half in maths. So go to hell, right, with your more academically rigorous and well-respected disciplines And beyond my issues around women, I'm sure those who do well in math, chemistry, and economics probably have little interest, right, in English, sociology, and anthropology, and they do terribly in those subjects. And maybe the reason these professors and students who study these subjects, maybe the reason they're more liberal is because they've actually studied these subjects. You know, I saw another report where the most liberal professors were those who taught history. And no offense to my son, who's an economics major, but I think that looking at history and understanding history is good criteria for developing an opinion on what to do in the future, right? But of course, I digress. You know I'm good for that, right? So since we're talking about academics, that posits the question, are liberals smarter than conservatives? And by default, are those of us with ADHD and other neurodivergencies smarter than those without these neurodivergencies. And, you know, I'm always going to come back with, well, smarter. Like, what in the world does that even mean? Because you know full well that just because you didn't do well in school, that does not mean that you're not smart. A learning disorder or challenge, right, is only a disorder when you are only allowed to learn one way. In any case, if you want to listen to a great podcast that's all about IQ, IQ tests, check out Hidden Brain's June 13th episode. The episode is called You're Smarter Than You Think. It's fascinating. You know, there was a study that looked at IQ tests. So, of course, in my mind, that's sort of suspect right out of the gate. Again, we're asking the question, you know, what does it even mean to be smart, right? But I want you to see what they had to say. So this study was from the London School of Economics and Political Science, and it looked at IQ tests and it averaged them by political ideology. And it discovered that for those adults who described themselves as very liberal, guess what? They had higher IQs than those who identified themselves as just liberal. Get out of here. I'm serious. Not kidding you. (laughs) And the people who identified themselves as just liberal had higher IQ scores than those who identified as moderate. And this progression continued down to those who identified as very conservative. So this is how it broke out. So 100 is an average IQ score. Those who identified as very liberal had an average IQ of 106. And those who identified as very conservative had an average IQ of 95. There was also a similar but smaller trend when they asked about how religious people were. So atheists had an average IQ of 103, whereas those who identified as very religious had an IQ of 97. Now, a couple of things. First of all, you need to know these are just averages, right? Just like the statement that dopaminergic personalities are all creative isn't always true, neither is it true that all liberals have high IQ scores. Of course, there were conservatives who qualified for Mensa and people who were very liberal who had very low IQ scores. And again, what do IQ scores really mean, right? My, what I like to call brilliant son in his initial psychoeducational testing, couldn't even get an IQ score because he was so high in certain areas like math and so low in other areas like anything to do with visual spatial reasoning. So if they, I guess what they do is they typically take an average of all these scores and that's how they figure out your IQ score. They couldn't even get that because one score was so high and one score was so low, the IQ score would have been meaningless. 
Now, although politics seems to be influenced by genetics, it also appears that the kind of family you grew up in plays a big role. You know, there's a gene that codes for one of the dopamine receptors called D4. And one of the variants of the D4 gene is called 7R. If you have this variant, you tend to be novelty-seeking, easily bored, interested in whatever is new or unusual, excitable, and quick-tempered. Sounds very ADHD, doesn't it? Now, if you're low in the novelty-seeking, you're going to be slower to anger, you're going to be more reflective, more stoic, probably more frugal, basically the opposite of those with that 7R allele. A Brazilian study that I found in PubMed concluded that the 7R allele was associated with hyperactivity and inattention, and it confirmed previous studies that 7R variants could play an important role in ADHD genetic sus- <laughs> I can't say that word, susceptibility. So again, there's the ADHD piece. Anyway, researchers found a connection between the 7R gene or allele and liberalism. But that gene wasn't enough when it comes to politics. You also had to grow up around people with a variety of political opinions. So you need not only have the genetic piece, but you also need the social piece. And by the way, there was also a similar study conducted in Singapore. So this isn't just in the United States. Now, you conservatives, I want you to hang in there with me. Because by the time I'm done, I think you're going to be really happy that you're conservative, and those of us who are liberals are going to understand you so much better, which it's always a good thing, right? So another way to test intelligence is to look at mental flexibility. Can you quickly change your behavior when circumstances change? This means you have to think fast and you have to account for when things change, right? NYU researchers set up an experiment where participants had to press a button when they saw the letter W, and then they had to not press the button when they saw the letter M. To make things harder, they sometimes switched up the rule so that you had to press on an M and you had to not press on a W. Researchers, what they did is they looked at participants' brains and what was going on during this testing. They could see that when circumstances change, liberals did a better job of activating neural circuits and adjusting their responses to meet that new change. It sounds like an ADHD brain, doesn't it? You know, where we struggle is the mundane pushing of the M button over and over again. But then when you switch it up and you incorporate change, we catch on really quickly to that change. This reminded me of the study on ADHD kids' brains where kids were seated at a computer and they did poorly when they had to respond in the same way over and over again. They got bored, right? They knew what to expect. But when the requests were unpredictable, they did really well, better than, you know, many of the non-ADHD kids. Okay, so I want you to remember that when we were talking about the look down versus the look up brain and how look down or the H&N, the here and now brains, they're much more able to appreciate what they have instead of always looking for more. So now we're going to move on to the gifts of conservatives with their strong H&N systems. We know that conservatives are more empathetic, they're more altruistic, and they're better at long-term monogamous relationships. They're also more generous when it comes to charitable giving. Yep, they are. Researchers looked at IRS data, and they discovered that every one of the top 16 states that voted for Romney gave the highest percentage of their income. And this, it was irrespective of income. It didn't matter how much they made. People who gave the lowest percentage of their income lived in states that voted for Obama. Now, only a third of those donations went to the poor, while 32% of those donations went to churches, 29% went to educational institutions, private foundations, and cultural institutions. But I was still pleasantly surprised by this statistic. Clearly, 
Liberals focus more on programs and policies, while conservatives care more about humans and doesn't individual humans, I should say. And doesn't this make sense since dopaminergic people are all about action and planning into the future to make things better? And H&N people or conservatives care more about appreciating what's right in front of them. You know, I've always felt that liberals focus on the group, right? They're trying to make things better for everyone, while conservatives care more about real individual people that they actually know. Charities and those that work with them are more likely to get to know real people and tailor assistance to their individual needs, right? Conservatives believe more in personal responsibility and character rather than government entitlements given to people they don't even know. In some situations, this might be more helpful because of the relationships they're able to establish. But there's also an emotional benefit for the giver, right? Being altruistic is associated with just having better health and longevity longevity overall. It feels good to give, right? To focus on others instead of ourselves. And these are benefits you don't get, right? By just writing a check to Uncle Sam. So why not do both? Create policies that help others as well as help a charity. Because dopamine and HNN neurotransmitters fight each other, people who support government programs and assistance are much less likely to give to charitable organizations and vice versa. So a University of Chicago survey showed that those who strongly oppose government programs gave 10 times more to charity. Similarly, these same people who are against moral welfare programs are more likely to give directions to someone on the street, return extra change to a cashier, or give food or money to a homeless person. Isn't this interesting? Bottom line, this looks like everyone wants to help the poor. It just depends on whether you're a look-up or a look-down person, how you want to do it. Dopaminergic people want the poor to receive more help through government programs, while the H&N people want to provide the help personally. So which methods provide more help? Well, in 2012, a trillion dollars were spent by all government, federal, state, and local in the United States on anti-poverty programs. Charitable giving was one third of that. So the dopaminergic strategy does provide more actual help if you're looking at dollars. So based on the fact that conservatives care more about relationships and people individually, who do you think is more likely to get married, more likely to get divorced, and has better sex? And this is interesting. (laughs) According to the New York Times, if you spent childhood nearly anywhere in blue America, And I'm reading this directly from the molecule of more, especially liberal bastions like New York, San Francisco, Chicago, Boston and Washington. This makes people about 10 percentage points less likely to marry relative to the rest of the country. In addition, when liberals marry, they're more likely to cheat. They're also less likely to experience climax during sex than conservatives. Like, what the holy hell, right? But think about it. Dopaminergic personalities are not particularly good at letting go of control, right? I think it was the dating website OKCupid. They did their own survey on sex, and they asked, are orgasms the most important part of sex? And then they then looked at the data they received and they divided it up based on political affiliation. And those who answered no were much more likely to be politically liberal writers, artists, and musicians. Think about it. If you're highly dopaminergic, our euphemism here for ADHD at this point, right? And I would argue that a large percentage of writers, artists, and musicians are on the ADHD spectrum. The most important part of sex probably is everything that happens way before the sex part even starts, right? You know, I mean, has this ever happened to you? You're head over heels over someone, right? And then they reciprocate. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm no longer attracted anymore. You know, the thrill of the chase becomes much less thrilling once you have what you thought you wanted, right? (laughs) The future possibilities are often much more interesting to our brains than the actual here and now. And I hate to tell you this, liberal ADHD people, but there are many surveys where conservatives appear to be happier than liberals. 66% of Republicans versus 53% of Democrats reported that they were very happy with their lives. Granted, 
These were self-reports. So that does beg the question, are conservatives more apt to really say how they feel versus we know people with ADHD usually are, right? (laughs) People who were married were happier than those who are single. And people who go to church are apparently happier than those who don't go to church. And this actually does make sense to me for the simple reason that we all want and need some form of community, which going to church definitely provides, right? Now, if you don't feel comfortable, you know, at church, if this isn't your best environment, of course, that may not be true for you. I also talk about this in my Your ADHD Brain is A-OK program a lot. You know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to create organization, coherence, and structure because that is just what makes our ADHD brains happier, right? It calms our nervous system down. When we feel all over the place and we don't know what we value or what we stand for, we just kind of go along and that's what makes us miserable, right? We're bouncing around from one thing to another because we don't know what that big thing is for us. We don't know what am I really passionate about and what is my purpose? Now, since conservatives value stability and are resistant to change, they tend to be clearer about what's important to them. They're not constantly being interrupted by a new idea or way to make things better, right? They believe what they believe, and they don't really care to be bothered with new ideas because for them, the old ones are working. And again, I am generalizing here, but, you know, stick with me. They are also more likely to have strong communities that value what they value since relationships are so important to them. And they're less likely to constantly be changing up their community. So if you're a liberal and you want to be happier, maybe taking a page from the conservative playbook is the answer. Become clearer on who you are, clearer on what's important to you, and building a community around your kind of people. I mean, this makes perfect sense to me. So who do you think is more likely to get divorced, couples in red states or blue states? Well, if you said blue states, you would be wrong. Nope, it's couples in red states. People in red states also consume more pornography. Why? Well, we don't know for sure, but they think it's because red states are more religious, so residents are pressured to marry sooner and are less likely to have had sex prior to marriage. They just know each other less, right? Disapproval of premarital sex is probably what also leads to greater use of pornography. So some of you may be sitting here thinking, well, I definitely have a dopaminergic personality. I want change. I'm always trying to make things better. I'm a risk taker who's always looking for the new and different. And I am very conservative. Ah, well, guess what? There are always exceptions, as I mentioned before. So I think this is the perfect time to talk about hippies and evangelicals. So evangelicals want to make the country a better place by legislating morality. They're totally focused on the future, on the afterlife. They are the progressives of the right. Hippies, on the other hand, focus on the here and now, right? They focus on what's right in front of them. They don't want to adopt new technologies or new ways of doing things that aren't connected to the earth. They're not focused on the future and how to make things better. They want to keep things exactly as they are. They're the conservatives of the left. Interesting, isn't it? So this is probably a good time to put a plug in for research because I realized that I've spoken a lot about surveys And we know that closely supervised clinical trials are the gold standard. In a survey, you can say anything, but how do we even know that it's true, right? You could see conservatives not being willing to be truthful about sex and liberals. Who knows? Maybe it's fun for them to kind of push the envelope, right? In general, although we have these outliers, liberals, those with more dopaminergic personalities are more likely to be forward thinking, cerebral, creative, intelligent, and dissatisfied. They don't like the status quo, and they're always trying to make things better. Conservatives, on the other hand, are more likely to be reliable, stable, conventional, and happier because they're able to focus more on the here and now and be happy with what they have. They're not interested in trying new things to make things better. They like what they have, and ultimately, isn't that the goal of life, to be happy? Of course. I'm all good with that as long as you're not taking from others' ability to also be happy. Believe whatever you want. Do whatever you want, as long as it doesn't hurt others. And then, you know what? Don't push your stuff on other people because, as we can see, it doesn't work very well, does it? 
And the reason is we have different brains. That, and of course, please believe in things that are rooted in facts and science. You can't just lie and put your fingers in your ear because, you know, la, 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 because you want to believe something that isn't true and is, in fact, really hurting other people. So Lieberman and Long talk about the kinds of programs that liberals are more likely to support versus the kinds of programs here and now conservatives are likely to support. Liberals, they focus on benefits. Conservatives focus on security. So is it just that liberals and conservatives are focusing on evidence to support their beliefs or is it more than this? Could it be that there is a fundamental difference in how a liberal's brain is wired versus a conservative's? You've heard me talk about the fact that the human brain's main goal is to just keep us safe, keep us alive, right? And so that means that we just naturally, it doesn't matter if you're ADHD, neurodivergent, any human, we focus on the negative more than the positive. In fact, we know that one negative thing needs about five positive things to counterbalance it. H&N conservatives like programs that offer security. They want programs that protect what's here and now. Defense spending, police spending, limiting immigration. Liberals, they don't care about the here and now so much, right? They're focused on the future. What's going to make things better for everyone? They like programs that have to do with immigration, urban planning, social programs that play off of our huge sense of justice. And when you think of those of us with ADHD, many of us are so future-focused, constantly looking for something more interesting, more stimulating. Even when we get shot down, we often just pick ourselves up and keep moving forward, right? Maybe part of it is we're so used to obstacles that we just fear them less. We're by and large optimists when sometimes we probably shouldn't be, right? It's why ADHD coaches, they can't charge neutral. Sometimes we don't see that glacier heading straight at us until someone's yelling, glacier. Some of us also like the feeling of an amped up nervous system, right? We're always worried about being bored. Now, this is really interesting. When liberals or conservatives feel threatened, we both get more conservative. Think about 9-11. After that happened, we had much more conservative policies and much more conservative political candidates. So when you have a political party who's constantly espousing fear instead of hope, the whole country is going to naturally become more conservative. We've kind of seen this happen all over the world over the last several years, haven't we? It's almost like it's contagious. What I don't like about Lieberman's book is that he doesn't connect ADHD to creativity, change, having lots of ideas, the importance of interest. He just misses it completely. He devotes four pages and only four pages to what ADHD is, but it's the usual. Can't focus, life's a mess, can't make friends, can't do school, overeats, struggles with addiction. He doesn't seem to connect the fact that there is a lot of overlap in symptoms and similarities between ADHD, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, dopamine, right? Now, we know that every ADHD brain is different. And so some of us may struggle with some of these things that Lieberman mentioned as symptoms of ADHD, but there's always something we're brilliant at if it's in our area of interest. And Lieberman doesn't talk about any of this. And he also doesn't make the connection that this dopaminergic person that he's talking about, the look up people, the person who tends to be creative, likes change and can get sucked into hyperfocus if there's interest, that person could also have ADHD. He talks about the brilliance of many with bipolar disorder and schizophrenia, and he connects these conditions to creativity. He mentions an Icelandic study that looks at the genetic profile of over 86,000 people who carry genes that place them at greater risk for either schizophrenia or bipolar disorder and found that they were more likely to belong to a national society of actors, dancers, musicians, visual artists, or writers. He talks about Isaac Newton and Beethoven and Darwin. I think he talks about Vincent van Gogh and Georgia O'Keeffe and Sylvia Plath and other brilliant artists, scientists, business leaders, and creative geniuses who struggled or struggle with mental illness. Lieberman connects their creative brilliance and bipolar disorder and schizophrenia to hyperactive dopamine systems. But just like bipolar disorder and schizophrenia, dopamine also seems to play a role in the development of ADHD. Again, 
we don't know what specifically causes ADHD. Obviously, we know it's primarily genetic, as heritable as height. Scientists and doctors believe that it also has something to do with the neurotransmitter dopamine. I often hear that our brains don't make enough dopamine. I think I I said this earlier in the podcast. But on the flip side, I've read that it could be because we have too many dopamine receptors, which leads to too much dopamine. As I mentioned in the beginning, some researchers believe this difference is because neurons in the brains and nervous systems of people with ADHD have higher concentrations of proteins called dopamine transporters. So bottom line, we don't know what causes ADHD. We don't really know. Lieberman believes that too much dopamine causes bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. I think that's kind of what is believed across the board. But then in the four pages in his book where he talks about ADHD, he states, well, this is an example of too little dopamine, and that's what causes ADHD. And then he talks about everything we can't do. He doesn't talk about the strengths of the ADHD brain. And so my question is, could it be that all of these conditions are actually related to an irregularity of dopamine? Clearly, these three conditions are all related to dopamine, but the symptoms, many of the symptoms are very similar. A lot of creativity and imagination with ADHD, even more creativity and imagination, especially in the manic state of bipolar disorder, and then so much creativity and imagination with schizophrenia that you break with reality, right? We just have so many ideas all at the same time. It's not a deficit of attention. It is a surplus of attention. Although ADHD, bipolar disorder, and schizophrenia have many differences, there's an overlap in symptoms, which could explain why it's so common that they're all often misdiagnosed and misdiagnosed for each other, right? Regardless, I believe that we, those of us with ADHD, are also in this group of dopaminergic brains. We are lookup people. It's harder for us to be happy in the here and now because we're always looking for something better, looking to make things better, wanting to practice our creativity, whatever that might be. We like change. We're risk takers, sensation seekers, and we're often impulsive. And we're often impulsive. But in truth, in everyday life, what we really need are all kinds of brains, right? Those that naturally look down and those that naturally look up. Look up brains need someone to temper their desire to constantly change things up, which isn't always good. And look down brains need someone to temper their desires to keep things exactly as they are. And isn't understanding these different brains and what motivates them a much better way of looking at politics versus thinking that whomever doesn't believe what I believe is selfish or just a jerk? I think so. I mean, bottom line, we live in this country together and we have to get along. It's scary how much misinformation is out there that is convincing people how evil the other side is. The misinformation is the problem. I hope that understanding how look up and look down brains work and how they're different might be a way to start building just a little bridge. So that's what I have for you for today. If you like this episode, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And your reviews, they really help in that regard. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you and the fact that you show up every week recording this podcast. It is truly one of my most favorite things that I do. So thank you. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smart Ass Women. Come join me at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. Keep looking up. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smart Ass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smart Ass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smart-ass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. 
I spy a happier life for us. And I'll see you again next week.